You're listening to The Local Maximum, episode 91. Time to expand your perspective. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Now, here's your host, Max Clark. You have reached another Local Maximum. Welcome, this is episode 91, last week's solo show. That was a lot of fun. I got a lot of engagement on that from people who I didn't know were listening uh, bad inferences from Convic- Congress, from the media, and from online personalities. Well, I think that's a gift that uh, keeps on giving. It's it's going to keep on giving. So if you see someone draw horrible, horrible conclusions from data, I want to hear about it. Send it to me at localmaxradio at gmail.com. We're going to continue the excitement this week. Believe it or not, the ad tech world is fascinating if you're talking to the right person about it. Today, we're going to cover the fraud, the scandal, the propaganda that goes out through online advertisements. I have the best guest for that today. Some of this stuff is amazing. My guest today is a tech news reporter at Adweek, focusing on ad platforms and financial and social impacts of the online and social networking ecosystem. Shoshana Wadinsky, welcome to the show. Welcome to The Local Maximum. Thanks for having me. This is wild. Yeah. Welcome to also to Foursquare HQ. This is my second interview in a row uh, that takes place at the office now that I'm back. So that's exciting. Uh, just I just want to make sure that you don't get any like uh, scoops around here because I don't know how they feel about bringing in an ad tech reporter. It's okay. The, uh, as, as I mentioned, the, the only scoops that I'm getting come in the form of uh, free snacks. Yeah. Oh, I, I wish we had ice cream then. Uh, yeah, um, but... <laughs> okay. So uh, let's start with an obvious question. How did you get into ad tech and how long have you been covering it? So it's kind of it's kind of a funny story, as they say. Um, I initially went to grad school for journalism, specifically science journalism, after working as a working as like a neuroscience lab assistant for a few years back in undergrad. Um, so I went from a yeah I knew you weren't pure journalist I'm not <laughs> uh, no but I, no no so I spent so I went from basically four and a half years of like animal testing and being like basically in like working with the carcasses of rats and small uh, and small mammals day after day to going to journalism school because uh, why not. <laughs> Yeah. Sadly, so you didn't want to stick with the dead carcasses? No, the carcasses. Sadly, the uh, career prospects of being a journalist were much, much better than being a research assistant, if you can believe it. That Which, actually is hard to believe. How, what, how do you figure? Uh, it's just when you're when you're going for a PhD, for example, which is what I was on track to do, you – work incredibly long hours. Sometimes your experiments don't add up and your pay is menial at best because, right. yeah, because you're in, and you're doing really kind of granular work that isn't going to be read by too many people. Yeah. So yeah. I figured if I go into journalism and write about this stuff instead, um, I'd be able to basically earn the same salary while getting a much wider audience. Gotcha. So yeah. So journalism school, it was went to a science program because that's what I knew. Uh, made the hard pivot to tech journalism because I figured this isn't only where the audience is, but this is where the money is. Because science journalists are employable, but not that much. Uh, it was much easier to find a job reporting on Facebook and Google than it was reporting on rats, uh, for obvious reasons. Um, and then um, in about literally about a year ago, um, I posted on I, I, I have a somewhat prolific Twitter account, and I posted somewhere that I was looking for. Yeah, I've been on it. I've, I am a follower. <laughs> oh, congrats. Uh, it's, I'm so sorry. It's an experience. It, it certainly is. <laughs> uh, yeah, so I, I, I made some posts. I'm like, hey, I'm like, I graduated this month. I'm like, if anybody's hiring, because I had previously interned for NBC and uh, The Verge over at Vox Media, and neither of them were hiring at the time. So I was kind of desperate. And I freelanced for a little bit. I have some freelance articles out there. Um, but nothing really panned out. And then my the, my now editor reached out to me over Twitter. And he was like, we need an ad tech reporter. Do you know what that is? And I said, no. And he's like, well, brush up and come in for an interview, basically, yeah. in, in not so many words. 
Um, I had no idea what ad tech was. My older brother uh, works works in the field. So I basically had him give me a crash course and be like, what do any of these things mean? Um, but I had a lot of experience reporting on cybercrime and kind of weird dark corners of the internet. And it turns out, because as the recent Comscore case kind of underlines, ad tech is full of fraud. It is a, yeah, yeah, it's some, it's like a nearly $20 billion problem by some estimates. What, well, first of all, well, yeah, let's go into the fraud because what type of, when, when you say fraud, what do you mean? Like people think of, oh, I like, you know, sold you something and took your money and then <laughs> nothing, nothing happened. But what, what, what does that mean in ad tech? Okay. Uh, oh, also, I forgot to add, I've been doing this for literally six months. I'm, okay. I'm baby. Uh, <laughs> but it sounds like you've jumped in to the deep end. I mean, yeah, it is, it is. And I tell this to everybody, ad tech, if you're, Reporting on advertising or even tech in general, ad tech is the most complicated beat that there is. And when, one of the things that I noticed when I started reading your stuff, I'm like, I've been working. You on, read my stuff. Yeah, I did. Then I I prepare a little <laughs> bit for these things. Uh-huh, sure. Uh sure. But uh, no, I mean, I've been working as I worked as an engineer in ad tech. Well, well, in some part of ad tech, I guess for a couple of years, and I'm like, I still don't know anything about it. Exactly. I still don't. <laughs> exactly. And part of, and part of that is by design. You know, it's like yeah. black boxes on black boxes, and mm. these companies will hold the key like and never let it go because if they do it's put something something trade secrets okay. but the real reason is because it's fraud <laughs> again most more often than not yeah there's a lot of stuff that's just baffling so tell me what is that fraud like what okay. how, how what's the best way to think about this what yeah okay so a good example is have you ever heard of like click farms or have you ever seen like those videos of like those weird Chinese warehouses that are basically just walls of phones and like being like clicked every few seconds? Um, I think I saw it in, I always mention HBO Silicon Valley here, but I definitely <laughs> no, it, saw it in that. It's, it's like, uh, it's, it's kind of stereotypical, yeah. but the, but the reason that those farms like that exist is because advertisers earn revenue based on the number of people who click or like see their ads or something, or sometimes it's the same goes for page, page traffic. So I have a page, I get someone to say, okay, you're going to pay me per click. And then behind their back, I hire some other guys out, you know, probably in another country where like the, the, uh, you know, the, the labor is very cheap and just have them just click away all day. Right. So, so here's, uh, let me, let me think. And part of this is part of the problem is, and I've had this, I've had this problem a lot when I talk to my friends at like consumer publications is that I will spend hours kind of going through the rigmarole because as you know, these things are really complicated. Um, so you're kind of right. Um, let's say you are on, let's say, let's say you're an advertiser. Let's say you're like working for Pepsi or Coke or not, not, not that you are, this is all hypothetical. I don't, yeah. want, I don't want those brands coming after me. Uh, let's say you're working for like Pepsi and you have an ad and you know, okay, we're going to get paid eh, maybe like 30 cents a click based on like how many users come here. So you put that ad wherever you're going to put it. And then maybe you, maybe somebody you're working with goes out of your way and says, you know what? Our traffic is kind of low, but we don't want traffic to look low because then we don't get the money that we deserve and we can't afford our vacation houses anymore. Oh, that's a big problem if you can't afford your vacation houses. Oh, tell me about it. Anyway, anyway, so <laughs> advertiser A or advertiser B, uh, whoever it is behind the scheme, will sometimes contract out. Uh, usually to, um, it, it, it happens in the U.S., but more often than not, it happens outside because, again, it's cheaper there. Uh, they'll reach out and be like, hey, uh, can you give X number of clicks or X amount of traffic over X amount of time to this particular page? So hold on. I'm already having trouble following. It's, <laughs> it, it, you know what? Are you drawing things yeah. out? Sometimes it helps to draw things yeah, out. Yeah, no, right. So uh, so who is who is hiring these people to do the clicks? You know, that's a very good question. So it, we don't even know where they come from. I've well, seen, I, I was mm-hmm. just going to say, I've seen things in Foursquare like clicks and reviews coming in. And I'm like, who? It, it doesn't seem like anyone's benefiting from just adding likes to Foursquare. But, well, well, actually, so that's so – But there's spam, a lot of spam right, out there. Right. Of course there's a lot of spam. And that spam has to come from somewhere. So typically – 
So there's so there's there's a few different places it'll come from. It'll either come from advertisers saying, hey, we need clicks. We're going to pay for those clicks somehow. Sometimes it'll come from something called incentivized traffic, where an advertiser will put up a post onto some, not Mechanical Turk, but a Mechanical Turk-like website and say, hey, I'll pay you guys 20 cents to come and click on these ads, for example. And you see that all the time. And the reason that people will do something like that instead of, for example, sending a ton of can I curse? Well, I mean, I will. I'll, I'll bleep it out only because I don't want to check the. Uh, it's in an, okay, I don't want to okay, check okay. the explicit. Thing. Okay, okay, okay. But okay, I, okay, I've skirted mind. the line before, so <laughs> I try totally to. I try to go not. right up to the line. I don't know exactly where the line is. Okay, so so for example, so so the reason that people will, for example, like go out of their way to pay for traffic instead of just creating a bot that can do the same thing in the span of like three minutes is because um, a lot of the kind of detection systems that are on the ground are made to look for uh, traffic coming from a single IP or coming from a warehouse or coming from overseas. And they're not meant to look for traffic coming from an individual, like a stay-at-home mom who's just getting paid 26 to click on an ad, 20 cents to click on an ad. So you're saying that they're not actually doing – like if it comes from the click farm, yeah. that's not really going to work. But they have right. ways around it. Exactly. So, okay. so Exactly. So click farming will – so Google, Facebook, you know, like the, the big the big guys, they know how to like kind of strong arm uh, click farms into submission. But not every publisher does, which is why that – MO still persists in a lot of ways. Okay, so there's some so like Facebook will know if it's a click farm, but exactly. not everyone does. So that's exactly. when that's when those scammers are like, all right, let's go for the click Exa- farm. Exactly, which is why a lot of smaller publishers are being afflicted with uh, fraud, whereas companies like Google, Facebook, and Amazon, the so-called triopoly, um, have kind of garnered a reputation as being fraud-free in a lot of ways, even though we know that's not the case. I feel like. A lot of people in ad tech don't real or a lot of people don't realize how many intermediaries there are, like oh middlemen. Oh my god! Because like it, it's not like oh I pay for an ad and, and it just goes up. It just goes up, and then yes, I can defraud the person who it went up on. No, there's like uh, there's like so many people in the middle that we don't even know what they do. I had okay, so funny story. I had a good friend of mine over at Gizmodo who's like an investigative reporter there. And he reached out to me and he's like, I'm doing a story about ads. And he's like, can you walk me through how they work? And I brought a notepad, a pen, and several hours later, he still didn't understand. And I'm sure you know, like, that's or, or several years later. Exactly. I mean, <laughs> exactly. I, exactly. I mean, like, I mean, like, even like the most basic ad setup will usually have at least four or five players at the very least. And more often than not, it's a number of players you don't even know because mm-hmm. what'll happen for example uber recently in fact i i just i was interviewed about this this morning uber recently uh filed a lawsuit against a number of ad networks that were supposedly engaging in some pretty kind of shady practices on um on uber's dime and what happened was that uber called out five ad networks it worked with specifically and then it named a hundred Jane Doe's, a hu- or a hundred Doe companies, so to speak, because can you explain what those are? Sure. Uh, which ones? What What is a Jane Doe company? A Jane Doe company. Well, it's funny. So I. So this is why this lawsuit. Like I, as you might know, I love lawsuits and I love reading court documents. But this is one of my. I I, I hate to call it one of my favorite court cases, but an ad fraud. As far as ad fraud goes, it's really interesting. Because Uber was basically saying, and they implied this in the court documents, they're like, okay, we know that we, we know that this agency we were working with to put ads everywhere across the web, we know that they were using these five ad vendors. Okay. These are the ones that are named in the so These were ads for Uber. These were ads for Uber. Okay. We've all seen them. Exactly. Okay. Ex- exactly. And Uber was saying, hey, Mr. Agency, the agency was called Fetch. And they and they went and they said, "Hey, Mr. Fetch, we're going to give you. I think I think it was seventy million dollars." And they said, "Fetch, we're going to give you seventy million. You're going to put our ads across the web." Okay, I get it. 
Exactly. So far, I get it. So far, you get it. Pay for his ads. Yeah, exactly. Good. In 2017, Uber realized that a lot of the ad placements were a little bit shady. So they were Ooh. showing up like on – you would go on 4chan, sites like that, and you would find Uber ads. This is not what Uber signed up for. So they originally tried to uh, renege Fetch back in 2017, and that kind of died down. But I think like two months ago – they restarted the lawsuit against the ad networks, the five ad networks that Fetch was working with at the time. And here's where the unnamed companies go in, come in. Um, so as you might know, when you work with one particular ad vendor, you're working with a dozen or more because all of these ad vendors and any ad network has more partners plugged in than anybody can really understand. So Uber, just to cover its basis, was like, we're going we're gonna to call out 100 unnamed companies that might have been subcontractors for these five. Okay, so now you've gone from one company that they hired, Fetch, exactly. to five. To five, to, to, to exact, 100. Exactly. So they're naming 100. It could potentially be in the thousands. We have no idea. Yeah. And Uber, like, like Uber specifically calls out 100, but like realistically, everybody that I talked to was like, it's probably more than that. So this question might be, so what's the problem with the ad on 4chan? Is it that they don't want to advertise there or is that like just not an effective ad? Okay. So in advertising, are you familiar with something called brand safety? Um, why don't you explain it to me? Because I, <laughs> you can always I probably should be. But, you know. No, no, it's totally fine. Brand safety is the idea that a particular brand, say Uber or Coke or Pepsi, doesn't want to show up next to a particular type of content. Okay. And in a lot of cases, that means blacklisting certain publishers. So Uber might have gone to fetch. I, I'm not too familiar with the lawsuit. I haven't read the specifics on, on uh, the 2017 case. But for example, a company like Uber can go to a, to an agency like Fetch and say, hey, here's the types of sites we don't want to show up on. Right. Or here's like a specific list of blacklists. Here's like a specific blacklist of like where we don't want to show up. And undoubtedly, sites like 4chan usually end up on that list. Sites like Breitbart, sites like Infowars. Could that be a problem if like your site ends up on the list and then like – yeah, like how exact are they? With yeah, them? so I mean, did, I, I'm I'm sure if you read my coverage, I recently wrote about this. Uh, uh, I I don't think I read that one, but okay. So the the blacklist approach is kind of a blunt. It's 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 kind of it's kind of like an it's taking an axe where they really should be taking something like a pen knife. Hmm. Um, that's kind of how I usually explain it to people. So if you have a blacklist and you say, we don't want to, sh and for the most part, these blacklists are built on keywords because that's how it's always been done and it's easy to do. And you can just be like, write a line of code that just says, sniff out this particular keyword. And if it appears on a page, don't run your ad on this page. Super straightforward. But what'll happen is that and, and this is something that uh, these blacklist companies, these ad tech vendors are only starting to wrestle with now, is that they're not particularly good at sniffing up context. No. Right. As I'm sure I mean, you know. Yeah. Facebook sometimes won't run my ads. I know. My oh totally my legitimate and non-scammy ads what are, that Facebook won't. What are, what are the ads for? For this podcast. What kind of language are you using? They just noticed that I like mentioned cryptocurrency in the, uh, yeah. the website, and they think that I'm some kind of scammer. I'm not selling anything. Uh, uh huh. Well, I mean, as far as Facebook is concerned, you're probably scamming for crypto. One <sighs> one of the first big scoops that I ever got as a reporter when but I the, the worst part about that is not that they reject yeah. my ads, but then they keep giving me more ads to go try again. Uh, yeah. Well, <laughs> that well, that's how Facebook gets you. Are you yeah. are you hanging out on like the developer forums? No, I just I, I disengaged. No, it's totally fine. I, yeah. I I mean, as as a reporter, I kind of have to hang out on there, but it is so funny watching people like hound Facebook for months on end for issues that just inevitably never get resolved. Yeah. Um. Oh no, no. But here's what I was going to say before. So, like, my first big scoop as a platforms reporter was actually kind of related to this. Um. Uh, this was back when I was a Verge intern, literally like more than a year ago. And I figured out that if what 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 will happen is that apparently Elon Musk's identity, you know, Elon Musk, everybody sure. does. Yeah. 
Elon Musk apparently gets tied into a lot of cryptocurrency schemes. Where, yeah, as I'm sure you know. Where, yeah. <laughs> what do you mean tied into? Like uh, incorrectly, like is, you know, like there's always. Like, I remember back in the '90s, like, oh, Bill Gates is giving away his money. Exa- oh, uh, exa- right, exactly. So uh, it's kind of like that. So a common Twitter scheme that used to happen was that people would make some sort of like an Elon Musk fake account. Yeah. Where it was obviously not Elon Musk, but like if you didn't look carefully at like the handle, you might have assumed it. And they were using Elon Musk as their display name. So what Twitter did without telling anybody was that they started suspending anybody that used Elon Musk as their name. And I was an intern at The Verge at the time. And I realized I'm like, huh, it's so weird that no other name does this. But for some reason, Elon Musk is special. Yeah. And I reached out to Twitter and they denied it up and down at the time. But then I had like, because I was an intern, then I had a senior reporter reach out and they owned up to it. But it, again, that's an example of taking an axe where you should be taking some sort of like a finer grain tool. And brand safety is a lot of, is kind of the same way. Where, yeah. for example, recently I covered um, publishers that uh, kind of like traffic in LGBT content, things like The Advocate, things like Out Magazine, uh, are finding themselves on the butt end of a lot of on a lot of like advertiser blacklists for being adult. If you include the word lesbian in an article, and it can be the most germane article. I, I think one of the ones I covered was like about like a prime minister who was a lesbian, who was like a, right. a, a, appointed to office. Um, and what will happen is that these blacklists are so used to seeing lesbian in the context of pornography that they'll just automatically flag that as saying like, we do not want our, our ads like appearing there. You know, it's interesting that it kind of makes me think how people don't like these black box machine learning algorithms. But on the other hand, the alternative, which is like simple ones that are explainable, are very... They're, uh, they're are, kind are, of dumb. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like they're just going to get you into these problems where it's like, the, okay, I'm not giving the algorithm any space to be like, uh, to be smart. Exactly. Well, I mean, like, I mean, as far as I know, and, and I'm sure like you as a developer probably also know this, it's like, a, it's like an algorithm will only do what you tell it to do. Yeah. And being in a black box doesn't make it any more sophisticated. Yeah. Well, I mean, but there are certain, there are certain like models that you can build that mm-hmm. are like, you could potentially build a model that distinguishes between like a news article right. and a porn site. Like I'm not, I'm pretty sure that's not too hard to do, but right. and like, um, but they're not going to do it. Exactly. Well, I mean, like to be fair, there are some there are some kind of reputable companies that have started adopting that model. But the yeah. tried and true cheapest option will always kind of take that blunt approach. Okay. So back to Uber because I think so. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like I'm trying to close every parenthesis here. Yeah. You know, but so, so we were talking about so they had. Their ads, was it just about having their ads on these sites or was there other fraud as well? And right. was that? So, it's, so it was a very specific kind of fraud. Originally, yeah. so it wasn't just about having them on these sites, but Uber was basically getting paid per app install. Okay. And they were saying, we're going to give you $70 million and you get people to download our app. And what happened was that these ad networks supposedly inflated click traffic in some way to basically take credit for app installs that weren't 100% legitimate. Okay. And that was kind of the big gun that Uber was accusing them of. And, and of course, like having ads showing up where you don't want them is a big deal. But basically, Uber was hung out to dry because they're just like, we don't know how many people downloaded our app under duress and how many people like actually downloaded it because they wanted a ride somewhere. Right, right. All right. So this goes really well into the next question here, which was since getting into internet advertising, or this oh, could man. be what we just talked about, but what was your biggest WTF moment oh, when you man. started learning about how this worked? I mean, I mean, again, I've only been I've only been doing this for six months. Yeah. Uh, let me think. Uh, do you want like WTF depressing? WTF wacky? WTF? Ooh, I don't want to be too depressing. So let's go with wacky. <laughs> if you have a. Um, oh it, man! Oh man! Let me think. Uh, <laughs> You're like oh, I got to back out the depressing. It was. I a, know. Well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Well, it was well, a false. Well, well, like, well, I mean, ad tech as a beat is like notoriously kind of doom and gloomy. Yeah. So having to cover something funny is like. What, what, what do I do? Yeah. Here? So when I was covering cybersecurity and cybercrime more as an as an intern before coming to Adweek, 
Um, I started hanging around a lot of forums that scammers used to hang out on because that's where you find all the stories and that's where you find all the loopholes people are trying to exploit. Yeah. Uh, trade secret, do not steal. Uh, and something and something that I always thought was hilarious was that a lot of these kinds of sophisticated schemes that Google and Facebook and others are bending their backs trying to like they're bending over backwards trying to solve for these mysteries of ad tech. And usually the person on the other side is like literally a teenager, literally a teenager. These people are 17, 18 years old. They're like, and they're not all in Macedonia. Some of them are in the Midwest in their home and they, they're too young. or They want they, something to do. Yeah, they want something to do. They want to make a quick buck and you can make a lot of quick bucks through ad fraud. So like why, if you're a teenager and you're an entrepreneurial, why, why wouldn't you do that? Hmm. And it's so funny seeing these people being like, I'm not old enough to get a real job. Can you help me like learn how to defraud these major tech companies? Oh my God. And they, yeah, and they're is... able to do it. It's so weird. Yeah. All right. My next question might be hard then. Oh, <laughs> do, do you see any positive developments in terms of new technology oh, or business models man. when it comes to the target advertising? Yeah. Oh, man. Okay, I know. Okay. I know. It's not in, um, you know, these okay. good, 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 feel good stories well, are not well, exactly. Well, 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 but, well, actually, so, so they're actually, so there's, there's a few. Are you talking about developments in uh, audience targeting or are you talking about developments in like the world of like fraud prevention? Either. I have tech in general. Ooh. Okay. So. I want to say the audience targeting one is more positive because all of the so there there have been a few developments when it comes to preventing fraud or kind of highlighting that weird black box supply chain with all of those actors. Um, but in my own reporting, I found that um, there these measures like they're not really enforced. And they're up to the goodwill of publishers and advertisers to install them. And often it, it takes time and money to put these things into place. So like, why would you do it? Just to like make the advertising ecosystem a better place? Like, no, like, what? no, like half the time. And this is the reason fraud persists to begin with is because these people are out there to like cover their own necks. Yeah. So you're asking people to take like a good, like a good act of faith and install these measures and half and like there are some notable folks in the industry that have been kind of taking those steps forward but overall it's not a good look uh, at least at least as far as i can tell but the good news um outside of fraud because fraud is always going to be kind of kind of a garbage fire uh, the good news comes from the world of audience targeting um and i'm not sure if you're familiar are you familiar with the california consumer privacy act Oh yeah, there was a whole meeting about it. <laughs> after, 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 after this, you should talk to me about that. Okay. Uh, oh no, I wasn't there. I just knew ooh, that it happened. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. So the California Consumer Privacy Act is basically, and this is, I'm just going to throw a whole bunch of acronyms your way. It's kind of the American equivalent of GDPR. Yeah. Where you're meant to get consumer. Con it's it's a bit broader reaching in some respects, but the long and short of it is that you're meant to get cons user consent before using any sort of cookies or using any sort of fracking mechanism. And a lot of folks in ad tech are wringing their hands over this because it's for any. I, I'm I'm not a hundred percent sure of the specifics. But a lot of folks are either based like in San Fran or LA or have consumers that are out there. And now, and you also have individual states trying to roll out similar mandates or similar extensions to this, to uh, CCPA as it's called. So right now, and this is, and this is, uh, meant to go into effect, uh, January 2020. So right now you have a ton of folks in advertising running around like headless chickens, so to speak, trying to find ways around that. And there are, there are shady ways and there's not shady ways. If we're going for the good news, the non-shady ways like contextual advertising, for example, are starting to gain rapid adoption. So contextual advertising, explain that. Yeah. Contextual advertising. Contextual advertising is basically... Typically, if you are an advertiser, if you're Pepsi or Coke, you want to target an end user based on like who they are as a user. Contextual advertising, it's targeting users based on the website content. 
So if your pups based are, on what they're doing based, at the time, it, exactly. I mean, it's a little bit like what we do at Foursquare, which is based on where they are. Right. So loca- so location data is a whole other can of worms. But this is so this yeah. is so this is independent of location. Um, but what you would do is that if your Pepsi or Coke and you get inf- and you know that your user base is like using a certain if if they're like really hanging out on like sports betting websites or if they're really hanging out on like Neopets. I'm just naming random publishers here. If you know that your audience is hanging out on on Neopets.com, the famous website, you don't need audience data to target them there. You can just like blindly kind of send them out there and hope for the best and usually get a good ROI. So we're seeing even company, even uh, big, big shots like Google are starting to kind of tinker around with contextual advertising. Cool. All right. So now what about the dark side of ads? Because I've talked about that so much in this program. Oh, man. Clickbait, annoying pop-ups. We already Uh... talked about Facebook rejecting my ads. Targeting that's so – there's two sides of targeting. Targeting that's so bad, it's like, what are they doing? Exactly. And then targeting that's so good, it's like, what are they doing? (laughs) uh, I I love that duality. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, like, the, I mean, like, if you're talking about the quote unquote dark side of ads, I mean, there's ad fraud, like we were talking about before. But are you talking about specifically like micro targeting? Well, for the consumers, I mean, what, like, how you? I want to f- feel like there's a, a a positive side where I'm actually getting, <laughs> you know, uh, ads for things that are going to make my life better. And occasionally, right. I have. Right. Um, but. So- uh, sometimes the incentives don't work that way. <laughs> well, I mean, like something that company, something that the big wigs will always tell you is that consumers prefer to have ads that are relevant to their needs, which is sure. true. I mean, like, of course. But the thing is, people don't realize kind of the trade-off there. Because when you get an ad that's relevant to your needs, you're being tracked in some ways. That's how these companies know what your needs are. Yeah. If you want to get into the nitty-gritty of kind of the dark side of these impending federal regulations, you have advertisers more incentivized than ever before to take kind of like a back alley and do types of audience targeting that are cookie free or really difficult to detect. So what's that going to mean for the, like what, what, what's that going to practically mean if, if you have advertisers taking the back alley, like what does that mean for the consumer? What does that mean for the advertiser? Sure. So it might mean that, of course, like even outside of advertising, you have folks in like the general like, consumer trade press, the pe- sorry, the consumer press, that if privacy concentric users are reading are reading a particular article, they'll think, oh, CCPA is happening. We're getting consent everywhere. This is the end of the story. I feel a lot safer now that I have control over where my data is used. When really, that's not the case at all. I mean, like, you have a modicum of control, but these companies are hard at work finding ways around that. Gotcha. In ways that, like, you, unless you're either a developer or you're really deep in ad tech, you will not be able to understand most of the time. So be, people might be a, give it, get a false sense of... It's all about so, a false sense of security. Yeah. All right. So... Moving on to Facebook. Oh, man. The big, the <laughs> okay. big blue Let's not try to talk about this for like uh, an hour, but we'll, we'll try to keep it. That uh, is like Facebook is my white whale. I've had whole episodes on this show where it's just me ranting about Facebook for an hour. Um, I, the stuff I But I mean, about. I might say I may mean, be a little different, but like, yeah, I'm sure you can submit some episodes as well. Uh, why do you think that so many people are frustrated with their advertising system and – is this for people buying ads and people or people receiving ads? Um, do you think that Facebook is staffed by well-meaning people who just have such a big system to run that they can't keep up? Or is there something else going on? Okay. So I can talk about this from the perspective of the consumer. I could talk about it from the perspective of the advertiser. Which one do you want? Let's start with the consumer. All right. So consumers are, of course, after Cambridge Analytica, which was kind of, again, you want a white whale? That's Facebook's white whale. After Cambridge Analytica happened and people realized how how they're being tracked online, not to say that Cambridge Analytica is unique in any way. There's companies that do this exact same thing. Cambridge Analytica was just the company that got caught, is what I always like to say. Yeah. But when people realized that that happened, Facebook became kind of like an easy target for a lot of people. If people are talking about privacy, like invasive practices, 
Facebook is loaded with them because they're complete. There are they were one of the first social networks to be completely, you know, funded by ads. That's why it's free. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, it wouldn't be free. Um, like, and I, I'm not even sure if there were any that really kind of like that um, uh, preceded it that were as popular. And, and offered as many options to advertisers. Oh, but, no. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, even like MySpace and all that. Exactly. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like I'm thinking of MySpace like that. You can't even compare the two. Anyway, so with Facebook's burgeoning popularity, of course, there's people all over the world that use it. People began to kind of get a little suspicious. And they were saying, and they were suddenly questioning, like, what is Facebook collecting on me? And how do I stop it? And even to this day, you have stories about apps sending data to Facebook. You have stories of like different websites sending data to Facebook. And all of this really only kind of came out like over the past year or two. The kind of the interesting wrinkle there is that a lot of people think that data collection starts and stops with the big blue app, as I call it. And they think if I delete my Facebook account, everything's Gucci. Ooh. What a lot of people forget or like people choose to kind of ignore is that Facebook owns Instagram and Instagram is an incredibly popular app. I think it's growing by like 200% or something year over year. I forget. Yeah. It's Yeah. Okay. You probably know this. Well, it's, no, I, I don't know the numbers, but. But yeah, it's growing as you might know. It's one of the most popular. It no, it's growing. Facebook isn't growing as much because Facebook already has everyone. So. Exactly. So Facebook, histor- Facebook like is growing, but it's, it's pretty stagnant for the most part. And Instagram is growing at an in- insanely rapid rate. So when you're on Instagram, you are seeing ads that are served through the Facebook audience network. You're you're having your data collected through the Facebook system. And the same thing goes for things like Messenger. For example, I never use Facebook, but all of my friends from college use Messenger. And I know that every time I open Messenger, because I've checked this myself, it's pinging Facebook servers and sending God knows what back to them. Yeah. I mean, that's not, that's kind of what we do here. Like we have data from a lot of different apps. Exactly. Or like, for example, um, so Facebook, because Facebook is something of a gold standard in the advertising realm, because they have what's called the Facebook pixel, they have the Facebook uh, software development kit or SDK. They have all sorts of handy tools that you as a publisher or as like an app developer can install into your system to track who's downloading my app and what can I do to make it better. And what happens is that Facebook provides all of these handy tools free of charge. And in return, they're getting that data sent back. What data is being sent back kind of differs from app to app. Personally, between you and me, I think a lot of the kind of consumer publications who report, oh my God, Facebook is collecting all of this data. For the most part, I think that's a lot of hooey. I think for the most part, they're just like, collecting data like app ids or user user end user ids that are already in their system and it's, <laughs> it's like collecting it they already have it exactly, right 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 exactly and facebook obviously i mean they have like god knows how many servers but they don't want to like waste that extra manpower sure. so why would they be collecting this data that they already have yeah. so whenever i i remember like there was like this big wall street journal story i think last year about this and i remember reading that and i just i got so frustrated i'm like i cannot read this anymore but <laughs> because um well the dirty secret about ad tech is that it's so mundane. It's like things like this, things like Cambridge Analytica, if people understood how widespread some of these practices are, they would lose their goddamn minds. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But like, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like, and that's why... Uh, when I came out, I was like, this is news. <laughs> I know, right? Well, well, I mean, like at the time, it was 20, it was like 2017. Like, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, oh my God, this is news. And now I'm like, this is not news. Yeah. But, Okay. So from a consumer standpoint, Facebook is getting its money grubbing hands over everything. Um, Amazon is kind of the same way with a few little twists and Google is Google. So those are, so those are the big three. Facebook and Google are the duopoly and Amazon is quickly catching up because, uh, they have those high intent purchase purchasing audiences and advertisers want to know what you're going to buy and where and amazon has that in spades yeah going back to facebook though sorry i my head is always all over the place so that's why facebook from a consumer standpoint is a little finicky from an advertiser standpoint this is really interesting um 
earlier this year, Facebook, so Facebook has something called, I mean, obviously it's a black box. Obviously things in newsfeed are going to be in newsfeed. And for the most part, um, you're, you, you get what you pay for. You have this really well-targeted audience. You have scale beyond belief because it's the face, because you have Facebook and Instagram and Messenger. Um, and it's, it's, it's like crack cocaine. Yeah. Even if advertisers like turn their nose up at Facebook because of whatever ethical scandal it just got into, it's the same thing with YouTube, for example. And it's the same thing with Amazon. People, you have to be there. You have to be there. And like, I remember, for example, this, this was with YouTube, but I remember talking to a media buyer who was like, I do not let my kids use the platform. And then in the next breath, he was like, oh, but I spend millions of dollars on it like every week. Mm. And I'm like, don't you feel like a little kind of sneaky <laughs> about that? And he yeah. did not, which is which cemented my belief that you have to be heartless to get into advertising. Uh, but what's interesting about companies like Facebook, and I'm, I'm writing a piece about this right now, so it's kind of fresh in my mind, is that Facebook and other social networks are hopping on this bandwagon too, is it has something called the audience network, which is apps, other publishers can sign up to be a part of Facebook's like proprietary, like, hey, you love the kind of like micro-targeting that you get here. What if instead of just a newsfeed, you can target these same users across the internet? So if a particular publisher uses the Facebook Pixel or if a particular app developer uses the SDK, uh, you can see ads that are served through Facebook. And nobody knows, and like obviously like you and I probably know this, but Folks in the your your like mom or your aunt walking down the street does not probably know that the ads that she's seeing like in Candy Crush are served through Facebook's system most of the time. Yeah. Um, but what what happened? Uh, I think maybe like a month or two ago was that the traffic. I mean, of course, you're it's it, it is kind of it is kind of a gamble. Like if you ask Facebook what publishers and what apps are in this audience network, Facebook will not tell you. Yeah. Trade secrets. Yeah. But what what but like one of one of the main reasons is, and this is something that like everybody like will tell me off record, is that it's full of fraud. It always has been and it always will be. And Facebook only like the audience network has been around for I want to say like about like four or five years. And Facebook just did like the last month took finally took action against it. They sued two app developers based in Hong Kong and Singapore, I think, for uh, they were app developers that were using this audience network, and they were artificially inflating clicks. So Facebook, I, I, I feel in a lot of ways, it was kind of an olive branch, because you had literally advertisers around the world saying like, this is a terrible system. And we can't leave it because it's Facebook. But like they should really do something about it. And five years later, Facebook was like, "Aha! Like we, we finally did something about <laughs> yeah, it. Now it you guys five can, years and hundreds yeah, of billions of dollars later. Now you guys, yeah. can't, Now you guys can't complain. But like at the same time, it's two two developers. Yeah, yeah. When exactly. there's God knows how many on the yeah. system. All right. Um, all right. So there is so much that could be said about Facebook, uh, but we only have so much time. Exactly. Um, a couple things. Um, oh, I'm a, I'm afraid to ask this question, but I think I may have what may be described as an unhealthy fascination with the dark corners of the internet. And I saw your Twitter feed that you've recently reported on 8chan and Gab. I've mm. talked about Gab on the show. 8chan and 4chan, I really don't – A, I don't know the difference between them and I don't really know what they are. Um, so why did you start looking into these? 8chan dearly departed. Um, so my – I covered it more on my previous speed because I was very interested in online disinformation, which is often funded by ad tech. But disinformation, I feel like that's half the – like 90% of the stuff I get online. I, I started to say half and I stopped myself. I'm like, half? That's way too low. Uh, no, 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 no. It's, defi it's definitely out there. But uh, in, in a lot of cases, like this isn't really – this isn't really disinformation because it's very real to the intended audience. It's just – it's – um. It's hate speech, pure and simple. Even and no matter what these people will say, it's we 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 both know. It's 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 kind of like you, you know it when you see it. So, well, so yeah. I mean, there's hate speech on Twitter, certainly. I mean, there's yeah. uh, stuff on. So, what makes these things different? 
When you have a site like 8chan or, or Gab, for example, that specifically caters to a particular, let's call, let's call it a clientele yeah. that is uh, very, very right wing and kind of hates people who have a particular skin color or are a particular religion or and like isn't afraid to share it on these networks. They, they, you like, you can say stuff there. You can make jokes there that you can't anywhere else. Part of the reason that you that you have manifestos like the ones that were shared on Achan, R.I.P. Dearly, dearly departed, uh, is because they're able to share really, really hateful stuff there that attacks my particular minorities, like, like, like Jewish people, which is why it's close to my heart. That you flat out can't write anywhere else. Yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I've been on Gab. I've seen it. Gab is okay. But, uh, but I sort of, I, I, um, you said something interesting where it's like you can say things you can't say mm. elsewhere, and I don't trust the elsewhere necessarily mm. to be good at. Like, I, I want to have those open. I mean, that's why I was checking out Gab to begin with because I want to have like the 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 safety net to say something mm. to be able to like have free speech. Uh, but then it didn't take me very long to realize like what was going on there. But still, well, like, d- do you see what I'm saying? Like, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Well, well, I, well, I mean, like, free speech. Free speech means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. And like, what is free speech, and when does it kind of transgress into hate speech? That's like something that a lot of the major tech platforms are kind of wrestling with right now. Yeah, they don't do a very good job, in my well, opinion. Well, you know but- what? <laughs> well, you know what? I know what. To be fair, they are like, yeah. you, like you know what? They're 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 doing their best, and they are making like significant strides. But they're taking they're doing it very very slowly because they don't want to alienate their base, and a lot of their base is kind of like free speech centric. Um, is it, you mean like Twitter's speech or, yeah, or, yeah, yeah, or 4chan yeah. and Gab? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Wait, what is the difference between 4chan and 8chan? Are those two, are those two, are those, are those two totally different things? Yes, they are. Okay. So 8chan, uh, so 4chan was, I, I spent a lot of my teenager dumb, um, on there. In fact, I used to be, it's, it's kind of where, are you familiar with like the anonymous movement? That's, that's what a little started. bit. Yeah. So it, 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 it mostly, it mostly was kind of like just like people pranking each other and like posting like funny memes. Uh, 8chan uh, was kind of like the uncensored version of that. So 4chan is like an anonymous image board. So 4chan is pretty uncensored. 4chan, but... is, pr- 4chan is pretty uncensored, but it's not violent. 8chan, right. 8chan is violent. 8chan was like, let's let's eight, take eight, this up a notch. Eight, That's four. We're going to go eight. eight. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And okay. There's, and there's also, there's other chans. There's 2chan, for example, but that is a whole other can of worms. Uh, that you have to be very proper on 2chan right. because that's only half. Right, 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 exactly. So, <laughs> so, <laughs> so, I don't know if that's true. Hold on. Is that, is that... It is not. Well, okay. um, <laughs> so... <laughs> Just to be clear, right. I, I've, I have never heard of that. But... Oh, no, it's, oh, man, yeah. I, the things I could tell you. Anyway, yeah. so 8chan, uh, up until recently, was hosted by, I think it was hosted by Cloudflare that like I kind of really st- stood by its guns and it said we know that the site is kind of controversial but we're not going to de- delist it because we believe in free speech and then you had all of these shootings happen that and all of these shooters posted their manifestos on 8chan the reason that I've been interviewed about 8chan in the past was because I f- broke the news via Twitter that the FBI had subpoenaed the site uh, I think this was in related to, I think this was, it wasn't the New Zealand shooting. I, I hate that I have to think about what shooting it was. Yeah. It was, uh, I think it was, it was the one in California, I think. Um, and what happened was that I get alerts for, uh, lawsuits because I love lawsuits. And I noticed that, um, it was, it was the USA, USA v. HN and USA v. HN, but also Facebook because apparently the guy posted his, the, the supposed live stream of the shooting on Facebook. On Facebook. Exactly. But it never uh, materialized. So I got the alert and I'm like, wow, this is funny. And then I realized, oh, wait, no, this is big news. And I realized that when everybody began retweeting it and national news outlets were suddenly like in my DMs. And I'm like, huh. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so so what what's the difference then between 8chan and Facebook if they could just oh, post man. anywhere? Because it's like... I mean, I guess what I'm thinking is like, why, uh, like, should a site be responsible for, I mean, maybe they could be responsible for taking it down, but like, are they responsible for someone trying to put something up to begin with? 
exactly. So there are so there are certain rules in place. Once the content is up there, that's Facebook's responsibility, and they will take like full ownership of that, even if they do a not a great job. Um, but if it's just like some guy like planning on doing something, you can't preemptively stop him. Sure. That's like that's like living sure. in a government state. Yeah, and you wouldn't want like every post on Facebook or Twitter to have to be vetted or something like that. Right. Exactly. I mean, like I can tell you that like ad content has to be vetted because somebody is this is going to be shown to like a ton of news feeds around the world, so. You need to make sure that that holds up to a certain amount of standards. Uh, so, like those things are vetted before they go live. But if you are just posting on the feed proper, you can't monitor the entire news feed. That is just like an ocean that is constantly yeah. gonna just hit you in the face. So, tell me about this lawsuit. What what is going on there? And I, I I listened to the podcast about it oh, a little man. bit. Oh man! Yeah, okay. try to be it like in in. Three sentences. God damn it. Oh, sorry. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, I'm just thinking. Okay. Yeah. Um, HN is a well-known site where people kind of post manifestos. Okay. This guy posted a manifesto to 8chan. And he said in the manifesto that he was influenced by certain boards, certain members, certain people there. And the FBI caught wind of that and they said, wow, we should really be looking into all of the accounts that are related to this case. So they subpoenaed, uh, I believe, a ton of like any information about user IDs that were mentioned or anything that was like in the initial thread where he posted his quote unquote manifesto. And it, it, it was it's it, it was really unprecedented. We know, for example, that there are feds and kind of like folks in the government watching these sites because people will joke about it all the time. Yeah. But this was the first time that we've seen concrete action. And this is the first time that we've seen these. It could be like the most radical person on the site ends up just being the government watching. Oh, my goodness. But but yeah, exactly. But this was like this is like the first time that like we've seen these these users running scared because now they yeah. realize that like our words have actual consequences. Okay. So um, before we wrap up, do you have any last thoughts on all the topics we covered today? And also, where can people find more where about can, Shoshana Wadinsky? <laughs> yeah, and, and your work. The very, very Jewish name. Um, you can find me. I, I'm I'm usually, as mentioned before, I'm usually on Twitter. Uh, Swidinsky, S-W-O-D-I-N-S-K-Y. All of that will be linked on the show notes. <laughs> Uh, or you can um, email me. My email is listed in my in my Twitter bio. It's shoshana.wadinsky at adweek.com. Shoshana, thanks for coming on the show. Thanks, dude. All right. Next week, I hope to do another news update with Aaron. We have a lot of follow-up stories to decide upon on our idea list here. There's self-driving cars. There's uh, um, Twitter banning political ads. I'm not sure exactly what we're going to talk about, so chime in at localmaxradio at gmail.com if you have a story you'd like us to discuss. Have a great week, everyone. That's the show. Remember to check out the website at localmaxradio.com if you want to contact me, the host, or ask a question that I can answer on the show, send an email to localmaxradio at gmail.com. This show is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and more. If you want to keep up, remember to subscribe to The Local Maximum on one of these platforms and to follow my Twitter account, at Max Sklar. Have a great week. It'll feel the power.